This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse number, we're going to back up to verse number um, 10, just for the sake of context. We covered verses 10 through uh, 12, uh, really 10 through 14 last week. But for the sake of context, we'll start in Romans chapter 5, verse number 10, read down through verse number 19 this morning. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression who's the figure of him that was to come. All that we covered last week. Uh, if you missed any of that, check last week's uh, podcast. Starting verse number 15 is where we're going to be at here today. But not as the offense, so also the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, speaking of Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Paul takes us through this uh, passage here that we refer to as typology. Typology we're actually studying on, on Sunday nights, and so if you, if you haven't been yet on a Sunday night, you should come tonight at 5 we're taking a look in, in typology at how the Old Testament points us forward to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And Paul does that with Adam in this case here. Hey, Adam was a guy that broke everything for everybody, but Jesus is the guy who made everything right for everybody. Adam disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. Adam brought destruction, Jesus brought redemption. And it's this push-pull relationship uh, between Adam and Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, in the, the sin of man versus the grace of God, it's not a fair fight. It's not like they're both equally powerful, and it's kind of this push-pull relationship. It's a matter of sin, Jesus always wins. And so when we look at this passage this morning, we'll see Adam made a big, huge mess for all of us. And you and I have taken Adam's sin and just continued to pile on on top of that. But there's one thing that can fix all of that, and that is the grace of God. And so we see, first of all, in this passage in verse number 15, while Adam brought sin and death to us, we have earned our own judgment. So Adam brought sin into to this world, the Bible tells us, uh, verse number 12, whereas by sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And so verse 15 tells us, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if the offense of one, one many made dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. 
And so it's not a matter of like, hey, Adam messed it up. Gee, thanks, Adam. But you and I kind of get off scot-free or you and I don't have any type of, uh, of problems. You know, it's all Adam's fault. No, no. Adam brought to us, I told Naomi yesterday, and then I went to see Brian and I, and I got the opportunity to, to hold Aurora. And these are just sweet, beautiful like girls, like teeny tiny little girls. Like, I don't know nothing about having small babies. Like all of our babies like came out big. Uh, and so, um, and so, and then we had one that just came out like fat. And so, um, but like this, these teeny sweet little babies, and we prayed over them that God would use their lives and God would save them at a young age and live for Jesus and just to see something so precious. But then to realize like this kid given the first opportunity will rebel against god and against authority the first chance that they get because that's built into their nature that's built into their dna hey we have all sinned the whole idea behind a sin nature is a rebellious nature against god you and i given the opportunity to choose god or rebel against god in our flesh will choose to rebel against god a hundred percent of the time it's not a matter of, I don't know what the Bible says, so I don't know how I'm supposed to live my life. It's a matter of, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I just want to do it anyways. The Bible tells us, Romans chapter 3, verse number 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, all of us inherited a sin nature from Adam for sure, but all of us are complicit in sinning against God. The Bible says not only have we all sinned, but we've also all gone astray. It's interesting to note the word offense that's used in the word uh, and the um, uh, verse number 15 here. The word offense is the, the Greek word par- paraptoma, which means to deviate from the set course. In other words, God had a direction that you and I were supposed to go, and you and I began to deviate off course. Sometimes uh, the, that word is translated in the English Bible, the word trespasses. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is recorded in one of the Gospels. says, forgive their trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. The word trespass is, oh, again, another word for sin. But the word trespass means to go to a place that you are not supposed to go. Like, right, when you have boundaries on somebody's property and you jump the boundaries and you go into a place that doesn't belong to you, that's called trespassing. You and I have trespassed against God and the fact that God says, here's the path that you go, and you and I say, I don't like that path so much, I think I'm going to go my own way. That's trespassing, not only against somebody else's property, it's trespassing against God. And we've deviated from the course that he has, and you and I have gone astray. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 6 says this, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone into his own way, and the Lord has laid on him one rule. Stay off the grass. Uh, over here across the street, over in front of um, uh, Koolani is the name of the, the condo. If you walk out the door to the right, there's a grassy area over there uh, that they have incredibly well manicured that they put a, a sign that says, uh, don't let your dogs go to the bathroom here. Every single day of the world, there's people out there letting their dogs use the bathroom there, right? And so here's what they did. No lie. You can go over that. I think it's still there. They put a sign that says, harmful chemicals to your pet have been placed on this grass. For the safety of your pet, do not allow it on this grass. And no lie, what do people do? They don't put their dog out there anymore, right? I don't have a problem when, when I'm ruining your stuff. But when you're going to ruin my stuff, then I have a problem. I'm willing to follow the rules as long as they have death. You're going to die and be punished because you sinned against God one day. I was talking with a guy several uh, months ago, and he said, well, I don't really believe in in heaven or hell. And I said, 
do you really believe that you and I can do as much wrong as we want and we never have to answer for it? Like, like there's no consequences for any of the wrong that we do ever. Like, I can rob a bank, I can kill people, I can be unkind to people, I can cheat from people, I can steal from people, and there are just no consequences for this. I never have to answer for it. And he sat there for a minute and he goes, well, I think the universe will pay you back. Okay? Question, who runs the universe? Right? So there has to be some system of justice somewhere, right? Even in this, this guy's mind where he uh, proclaimed to be an atheist, proclaimed to not believe in God, in his mind there was still some sense of justice that maybe, quote, the universe could bring because he recognized that there is this idea of a moral right and a moral wrong, and there must be penalty for that. The Bible says the penalty for your sin and mine is death. Not only a physical death, but it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. When you die, you will stand before God and you'll have to give an account for the way that you've lived your life. And you don't get to, to, to say a lot that day of like, well, God, I tried this, I tried that. God is not interested in what you've done. Because you and I, again, go back to Romans 3.23, fall short of the glory of God. God said, I had a standard set and you missed it. Well, I got a really good reason. God, you can give all the reasons in the world. You missed the standard that I had. And so you and I, because of that, deserve to die. Not only a physical death, but after that judgment, you and I are going to go to hell if we die in our sins. That's what the Bible says. You and I have broken God's law, and we deserve to be punished. And God's punishment is a place called hell where you'll be separated from God for all of eternity. It burns with real fire. There's no second chances. There's no getting out. That's our punishment. And here's the worst part. That's what life, but I don't know that I've done enough wrong that I deserve to die and burn in hell forever. Here's what the Bible says. If any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all. God doesn't have a sliding scale that those that are like super bad go here. Uh, and those that are kind of sort of good go here. And those that are really great would go here. God doesn't work that way. God says all of us deserve punishment. All of us. But <laughs> here's the good news for you. If you get nothing else out of today's message, hear this. God doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants to save you and forgive you of your sins. He can't do that. He can't turn a blind eye to your sin and pretend like it didn't happen. He had to make a payment. And Jesus came to pay the penalty of your sin. Jesus died on the cross for one purpose and one purpose only, to pay for your sin and mine. So that anyone, the Bible says, would, that would believe in Jesus Christ, not just believe that he, in his historical significance, but believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus died for their sins, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and they would confess their sin to God, can be saved from that future punishment. We call that being saved or born again. John chapter 3, verse number 3, Jesus says, No man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The only way that you're going to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ, not through your church, not through your baptism, not what your, your grandma told you one time, not because what some pastor told you, but because what Jesus Christ has done for you and you have received. And so for you, there has to be a time, a date, a place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you were born again. If you say, I'm not sure if that's happened, then let it happen today. Let today be the day that you put your faith in Jesus and are born again. Because the penalty of your sin, what we deserve is death and hell. That's what Adam brought for us. And you and I have piled on as you and I have rebelled against God. Let me pause here for just a second here and say that there are Christians who have been saved from the penalty of their sin, but continue to go back to their sin because they have a rebellious heart against God. You need to make that right. 
The Bible says God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You cannot sow a lifestyle of sin and expect to receive God's blessings. It just doesn't work that way. You want God's blessings, you sow righteousness, doing the right thing according to God's word. And so when we take a look at that, at what Adam has done, Adam ruined everything. He brought sin and death upon mankind as a whole. But Jesus has brought forgiveness and eternal life, but it's a gift. It's a gift that he gives. And so, again, we, we have this push-pull relationship gift. For through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sin. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So by very definition, a gift is free. If God gives you and I the gift of eternal life, it's a gift. You and I can't work for it. We can't earn it in any way. You and I can't work for it. We can't be religious enough to get it. It is a gift. The word grace means unmerited or undeserved favor. It means you don't deserve it. So imagine this. Uh, the, they have the uh, NBA Finals this year, and I'm sure the Lakers won't be there again this year. But imagine with me that the, they have the NBA Finals. And they, they're naming the Finals MVP. And they say, Pastor Anthony King has been chosen as the Finals MVP. They're like, he didn't even play. Yeah, the, we're giving him to, it's kind of a grace, grace award that we're throwing out this year. You know? We're going to give him the MVP. But you say, that's not fair. He like, didn't a minute, and I can't play at that level, but somebody was gracious to me instead. That's what grace is. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You're not good enough to get it, but that's what you have received. And by nature of the word gift, it means that it's free. Now, we live in a world today where, where free isn't free, right? There's always an asterisk next time. Free this for that, and there's an asterisk. You know, terms and conditions apply, right? You get a, you get a free something like, oh, sign up for a credit card, and we'll give you a free koozie or something like that. Like, oh, gee, thanks. You know, oh, we'll give you a tote bag for, for you know, signing up for this. Or There's always strings attached. But God offers a free gift with nothing attached. I often explain uh, free gifts like this. I have a, a knife with me today. It's a really nice push button, flick out the automatic, I like it. Uh, no idea where it came from. Uh, there's like five guys in our church that really appreciate good knives. And I reach out to all of them and say, hey, did you send me a, a Benchmade uh, knife in the mail? And they're like, no, no idea where it came from. So this literally came from the Lord is the only thing. <laughs> so um, strange stuff. Uh, but all five of those guys are like, ooh, I want to see it on Sunday. And so uh, they appreciate it, but they didn't get I have no idea where it came from. It literally came from the Lord. So imagine this gift that I've received from the Lord. I choose to give it to my friend Kenny here on the front row. Uh, Kenny, I'm going to give you this gift because you're always on the front row. You're always happy. You're always filled with joy. Uh, you know, you want to lead your family well. And beca because you're such a good person, I'm going to give you this gift. Now, put your thinking cap on. Is that a gift? Yes or no? Some say yes, some say no. The correct answer is no. I'm giving it to Kenny because I like Kenny, because Kenny's a good guy, because Kenny makes me feel good. He's an encouragement to me because he's always here. I'm not giving it to Kenny just because. I'm giving it to him based on criteria. So if you can imagine... When it comes to the free gift of salvation, sometimes me because I'm because I go to church going to heaven. No, no, no. It's a gift. So I'm going to give Kenny this super cool knife here uh, as a gift. But Kenny, 52 weeks in a year, you need to be in church. If you miss a week, you got to give it back. Gift or not? No gift. Now Kenny's earning it. 
Kenny, I'm going to give you this gift, but you have to get baptized next Sunday to get it. Is that a gift? No, Kenny's actually doing something with this knife as a gift. Totally yours to do what you want with. Take it, and I hope you use it well. Is that a gift? Now it's a gift. No strings attached. When God gives us the free gift of salvation, he gives it with no strings attached. So when somebody says, oh, well, you got to get baptized to go to heaven. Wait, 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 wait. You just added something that you and I have to do to earn this. And the Bible says, if it's works, it can't be grace. And if it's grace, it can't be works. Those two words are mutually exclusive. But this verse, verse 15, makes it ridiculously clear. It is a free gift given by God's grace. Therefore, it subtracts 100% of works out of it. You and I can't do anything to earn it. And so people say, oh, you've got to get baptized to go to heaven, or you've got to join a church to go to heaven, or you've got to get baptized in this particular church to go to heaven, uh, or you've got to go talk to this guy in a phone booth and tell him all of your sins that you've ever done in your life, or you've got to come to church, you've got to take communion, then you can go to heaven. All of those are works that we do, and that automatically nullifies the gift. Or I had one guy one time tell me, he said, I know that Jesus has already done my part, I just need to make sure that I do my part. That's where you've mixed up. Jesus didn't say... I'm going to pay for most of your sin, and you can take care of the balance. Jesus says, I'm going to pay for all of your sin, or I'm going to pay for none of your sin. Those are your only two options. Because either you will pay for your sin, or Jesus will, but it's not a team effort. The only thing that you have to bring to the equation is your sin. That's it. I don't have good works that I bring to God. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a pastor or because I go to church or because I grew up in church or because my parents were Christians. I'm going to heaven when I die, 100% certain, because my faith is in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and his death upon the cross covered all of my sin, past, present, future. That, that's it. And so again, we have to understand that this is a gift of God, because when it comes to earning things, first of all, you and I can't earn grace. That would be an oxymoron. Uh, because grace cannot be earned. You and I have not earned grace. You and I have actually earned wrath. Your, all of your attempts to be good are only earning you more punishment if in, in God's eyes if you have not received his grace. If you try to get to heaven apart from Jesus, you're only digging a deeper and deeper hole. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so again, if I can work my way to heaven, I can outwork you and I can brag about how much better I am than you. I've been in church longer than you. I have a better church attendance record than you do. Uh, I prayed more this week than you did. I read my Bible more than you did. And we can begin to compare how much better we are than everybody else if it's based on our works. But because our works have absolutely nothing to do with it, I have no reason to brag today. I am a wretched, wicked sinner that's fully deserving of God's judgment and punishment. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve God's wrath. But for some reason, beyond my human comprehension, God chose to reach down and save a sinner like me, even when I was completely, totally undeserving. And I have nothing to offer God but my sin and my faith. That's it. I'm no better than you. I'm no better than anybody else, the worst sinner in the entire world. I'm no better than them because I have no reason to brag. I have no reason to boast. And so again, this 
idea of working for your salvation or doing religious works to get your salvation or there are people in the church to get to wear special robes or special hats and that makes them bigger than better than everybody else we should look up to them and and and, and desire to be like them and deify them to a certain degree god that makes god want to vomit because god says oh no 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 there is none righteous no not one and so we, we haven't earned God's grace. We've earned God's punishment, if anything. And so the only way that we can reach out and receive God's grace, receive God's forgiveness, is to receive his son, Jesus. That's it. Well, I want God's forgiveness, but I don't want Jesus. Sorry, it's a package deal. I want Jesus, but I don't want forgiveness. Sorry, package deal. I want Jesus and forgiveness, but I want to continue to live my life how I want to, and I don't want to give up my sin. Sorry, package deal. It, it all goes together. Because Jesus came to defeat your sin, not to allow you to continue to live in it. And that's a tough thought for some people to wrap their head around. Well, Jesus came to, so I wouldn't go to hell. No, 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 no. That's only part of it. In Christ, having the Holy Spirit inside of me, being able to live now in freedom, that's the real benefit of being in Christ. And so sin's power has been completely lost by the work of Jesus. Sin once had a stranglehold on you. Sin once had you by the throat, and you did not have the power to fight back. Take a look at verse number 17. For by one man's offense, death and the gift of righteousness shall rest. So Previously, sin reigned and brought death. When we think of reign, we think of kingdoms. Sin was the king of your life. Sin was the boss of your life. And you did whatever sin told you to do. There's a man several years ago who had came in a... Why Monument Street is a unique place um, throughout the week. And uh, by the grace of God, we were able to redeem this place for, for Jesus on uh, Sunday mornings. But Saturday nights, there's a lot of... Uh, activity that takes place after hours if you will around here and it's nothing on a sunday morning for us to have to go and sweep up meth pipes and needles and you know use alcohol bottles and stuff like that there's a guy several um years ago that had pulled up out front uh, and had been using drugs and had a needle still stuck in his arm and was hanging out the driver's side of his car i'm like i don't know if the guy was alive or dead and so i called the cops to come uh, and the guy uh, finally came to, and, and when they saw the, the blue lights, he, he pulled his needle out, and then he shut his door, and he turned his car on. And I, like, stood in front of his car, like, bro, you're not driving anywhere. Like, you were unconscious, like, 10 seconds ago. And so the cops come, and they talk to him, and, and uh, tell him to sit on the sidewalk for a while, and they sit with him for 20 minutes, and then the guy drives off. And I was just like, what on planet Earth? And so, but I thought to myself in that moment, is this guy free to do whatever he wants? No, he's not. He's a slave to his sin. And while you might have never had a needle stuck in your arm, passed out in the driver's side of a car, there have been times in your life where you were a slave to sin. You couldn't choose to do right if you wanted to. I want to do it how I want to do it, and the end result is always death and destruction. Always. It always falls apart. The wheels always come off of it when you have your own way. And so in Adam, in our sin, death reigns and sin reigns. So they need massive of sin and death. But for the Christian, righteousness now reigns and brings life. While you might have never been a drug addict or an alcoholic, there was a point in time in your life where sin had your number and you continued to pick up the phone. 
where sin and death reigned. Here's the worst part for you Christians. There might be a time in your life, and it might be right now, where you've never intended to live as a slave to sin. You've been set free from that. And so for the Christian now, I get to choose life. I get to choose righteousness. I get to choose to do the right thing this week. Why? Because sin doesn't have power over me that it used to any longer. I get to choose what's right. And what does that bring when I am obedient to God and I choose what's right? You know what it brings? It brings real deal life. Jesus says, the thief came to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And again, I always have to preface that, that the abundant life is not a bigger car or a bigger house and a nicer car and a better job and more money and your kids go to that private school that you want to go to. That's not the abundant life because when idolatry takes over our life, God doesn't just become an idol giver. Abundant life is things that you cannot produce on your own. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what your heart craves. That's what you really want. That's what Jesus came to give you. A peace that you've never known before, a love you've never experienced before, joy that overflows in your life. That's what he's come to give you if you're willing to obey him. Now, again, you want to go back to your sin. You want to continue to rebel against God. You're going to get death and destruction. It's just, it's just the facts. Again, you cannot plant seeds of sin and rebellion against God and then reap God's blessings. It does not work that way. You will only receive God's blessings when you sow seeds of righteousness and obedience. Do what's right. God will bless you for that. Because now, verse uh, 17 tells us, get this, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more those which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. I love that verse in the, the that phrase in the middle of that verse 17 there, the abundance of grace. God's not like, okay, here's a little grace for you, here's a little grace for you, a little grace for you. You need some grace today? Oh, all right, fine, take a little bit. It's the abundance of his grace. Like you're standing uh, like in need of God's grace, and he backs up a dump truck and like drops all of his grace on you to the point where you are... If you've experienced this before, you know what I'm talking about. You are overwhelmed by the grace of God. And if you've never been there before, this is not some weird experience that you've got to turn all the lights off and be really quiet to get overwhelmed by the grace of God. and Nothing like that. It's just a matter of if you've ever had a period in your life where you just sat and thought about how good God is and you are just like overwhelmed, overcome by how good God has been. And you just realized like, God is so good, overwhelmed. Why? Because he gives us the abundance of his grace is what he offers. That's why it grieves me to see Christians chasing after sin. It's just like to chase after sin, you have to forfeit the abundance of his grace. I'm like, you don't want it. You don't want it. Because sin promises satisfaction, but it never actually follows through on it. God promises to give you the abundance of his grace and dump truck supply if you would just be willing to, to stand in a place where he can bless your life in obedience and righteousness. Jesus' work of obedience is infinitely greater than Adam's act of disobedience. Again, this contrast that Paul pulls here for us in this chapter, hey, Adam disobeyed, but Jesus' obedience 
greatly overshadows that. Hey, did Adam break stuff and mess things up? He did for sure, but Jesus fixed it and then some. I'm thankful that Jesus is a redeemer. The idea of a redeemer is one that takes things that are broken and restores them to better than normal. Here's the problem many people get to. I've seen this a lot, especially in marriage counseling. Hey, God wants to fix your marriage and, and, and give himself glory and give you joy through this. Well, I don't care because when things were good in our marriage, I was still miserable. And it's the idea that God just kind of puts a band-aid on stuff and gets you back to the status quo. That's not what redeemers do. Redeemers restore and then some. God wants to take you to a place in your marriage that you've never experienced before. God wants you to, to, to be healed in a way that you've never been healed before. God doesn't just want to fix the, the fruit that's a little bit corrupt because the Bible tells us if a tree has corrupt fruit, that's because it's corrupt at the bottom. God wants to get a hold of your heart at the roots here so that you can bring forth good fruit. You say, well, I've never seen that before. Exactly, because you need to allow the Redeemer to redeem the things that are broken. That's what God wants to do for you. And so sometimes we get this idea that God can't fix that. Well, look what Adam's broken, what you've broken. God's grace can always restore. Jesus is more powerful to save than Adam will not be saved. We're going to get to that next, next week, and I cannot wait to get to that. But what Adam broke, Jesus can restore. What you and I have broken, Jesus can restore. You think of it this way. I'm, I was always bad at math, but I was really good at those greater than, less than problems. You have God's grace is greater than Adam's sin. God's grace is greater than my sin. God's grace is greater than the world's sin. There's nothing that cannot be resolved with the grace of God. And so when we look at our, our world that we live in today, we, we look at it, we like to, to nitpick, and we like to armchair quarterback everything and second guess what uh, you know, our politicians are doing and things along those lines. Hey, look, that's fine if you want to do that. But the real problem that we have in our world is sin, and the real answer is Jesus. So, I mean, that's why, like, again, I skim news headlines just so I know what's going on in the world today. But at the end of the day, I'm not looking for one particular politician to bring, you know, healer than the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future. Verse number 18 tells us that. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. We talked about this last week, how uh, justification is the opposite of condemnation. Condemnation, you're guilty and you're going to be punished. Justification, you're not guilty and you're never going to be punished. So by Adam, we're all going to be punished. By Jesus, none of us will be punished. For those that claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I remember as a kid, I, I understood the gospel as much as a nine-year-old could whenever I got saved, and I got saved on a Sunday morning uh, in my bedroom. My, my dad led me to Christ, and I remember as a nine-year-old boy, just in that moment, you know, being forgiven by God. Just like, man, I felt like I was clean. I felt like I was fresh. I felt like, like, I don't want to leave this room because the second that I do, I'm going to get mad at my brother. I'm going to say something I shouldn't. I'm going to sin. I just want to bask in this moment of sin where the sin that I was chasing after didn't provide the satisfaction that I would, actually making me happy at all. And I remember thinking to myself, I was probably 21 years old and thinking to myself, alone by myself, thinking about life choices and poor decisions that I made. Man, I wish I'd gotten saved when I was 21 instead of when I was nine. 
Like that feeling that I had when I was nine, when like the world was perfect and I was completely clean. Like I need that feeling now at 21. I didn't need it at nine. I didn't need a do-over when I was nine. I needed a do-over when I'm, I'm 21. And how many of you know that life doesn't have do-overs? You know, like I, I don't play video games anymore. When I was a kid, I used to. And you play these games and you realize you, you missed a turn somewhere. You're supposed to pick up something and you forgot to pick it up. And you realize you can't go any further in the game because you didn't have this one thing. And you have to go back like reload a previous one or something like that, hit the reset button. Life doesn't have that, but I wish that it did. But then when I really get this, stay with me, when I really understood the gospel, that I don't have to go back to when I'm nine and get saved again, all I have to do is confess my sin today and I get a fresh start today. For all of my sin, past, present, and future. And I know when I blow it this week, and I will at some point because I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God, when I blow it, the grace of God will be there to meet my sin and overwhelm my sin because God's grace is always greater. This is, again, one of the reasons why I have heartache at people who think that you can lose your salvation. That God's grace was good enough to save me, but it's not good enough to keep me. Or that God's grace saved me, and now it's my job to maintain that for the rest of my life. Hey, look, if I could lose my salvation, I would. I, I can't keep track of my wallet, my car keys. Keeping track of my salvation would be impossible, right? Like I, we're putting air tags on our kids at this point to keep track of them, right? Like the idea that you and I could like, did you keep your salvation today? I don't know. I hope so. I think so. I'm pretty sure so. Did that one thing that I do, did that push me over to the edge into God's condemnation again? I don't know. But I'm thankful that the Bible says to them that are in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation. Never. Because the grace of God is enough to keep you saved. Jesus says this, all that my Father gives to me, I will not lose one. That they're in my hand and I'm in my Father's hand and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. Man, the grace of God is enough. The power of sin and death can be broken, but the power of Jesus cannot. Imagine this, prior to Jesus' death and sin, we're just part of life. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll struggle to find talk of eternal life. It wasn't something the way that we think of now, because again, much of what we know about eternal life and the promises that come, come through Jesus Christ himself. They come from Jesus, they come from Romans, uh, they come from the book of John. You look in the Old Testament, there's not a, a ton of talk. Now, I'm saying it's not there, I'm saying there's not a ton of talk about heaven and eternal life there. And everybody knew that they were going to die. And if you wanted forgiveness of your sins, the only way to do that was to make sacrifice for your sin. Obey the law the best that you can to prove that you believe that God is who he says he is. And when you sin, and you will, you have to make a sacrifice to atone for your sins. And so you were stuck in this hopeless cycle that there was no power over sin to live with. But when Jesus came, he did what people thought was never possible. He broke the loop of sin and gave us power over our sin. And then he gave us power over death and the grave and the fact that now that he's a resurrected Savior, he's given to us eternal life. He's given unto us, again, the power over sin comes with, get this, this is beautiful, the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God. Get this, you have something that Old Testament believers never had. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. They didn't have that. You have something the Old Testament believers would never have, the completed copy of the Word of God. Never. 
you have more at your disposal to follow and obey God than King David himself, right? That, that's a big deal. So you and I have received something that's very unique. We have power over sin and death. And this power that Jesus gives absolutely cannot be broken. Colossians chapter 2. Look at this verse in your notes. You've got to see this. This is so cool. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which is contrary to us. So biblical times, what happened when you would go to jail and you would be in prison? They would take a, a, a sheet of paper, if you will. It was a piece of papyrus. But they would write down all the things that you were charged with and hang it outside of your cell. In, in handwriting. So here's all the things you've, you've done. Here's all the laws that you've broken and hanging outside of your cell. And then you'd be punished according to the things that were written, all the ordinances that you had broken. So the Bible tells us that Jesus, once he forgave you and made you alive in your trespasses and sin, took your ordinances, the, the handwriting of ordinances that was against you, and he took those and he blotted them out. And what did he do with it? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. Where did he put it? He nailed it to his cross. So you and I were imprisoned, slaves, being ruled and reigned by our king, sin, and... But it doesn't stop there. Read on. It says, in having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So get this. When you would defeat an army in biblical times, you would steal all their stuff and take it home with you. Some of it for trophies, some of it just to enrich yourself. And so Jesus defeated sin and death and took back everything that sin and death had, all the power, all the guilt, all the shame. He took it back, and the Bible says he made a show of it openly. In biblical times, what would happen after you defeated an army and you take all their stuff? Then afterwards, there would be a huge victory parade that was thrown through town. And they would come, and they would, would shout and celebrate the soldiers that were coming back from battle. They would show off all the cool stuff that they got when they defeated all the other armies. You think of David when he came back, they threw a party for him. They're excited for him. A huge parade. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, the tens of thousands. And Jesus took all of our sin. He rose again the third day, triumphing over it. And you and I, every first day of the week, gather together to celebrate our resurrected Savior who's resurrected with power over sin, death, and the grave. Man, you talk about good. That's good. So, final thought, the obedience of Jesus in fulfilling the law gave him the opportunity to be obedient upon the death of the cross. Take a look at verse number 19. <laughs> For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So the, oh, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Adam was disobedient and ruined it for everybody. Jesus was obedient, fixed it for everybody. But hold on for just a second. You and I could die on the cross Let's say, for example, I wanted to pay for your sins. I'm going to die on the cross, and I'm going to pay for your sins. Did you know my blood being shed is of absolutely no value whatsoever? None. I lost my entire life, never broke the law one time, and through his obedience in life, he could provide obedience in death that would overrule our sin. And so Jesus has always been obedient to the Father. From eternity past, before the creation of the world, he was obedient to the Father. Where is Jesus at today? He's seated at the right hand in obedience to the Father. And his obedience allows him to pay for the sins of you and I.
That's why a church can't forgive your sins. That's why I can't forgive your sins. That's why anybody who tells you, hey, your sins are forgiven by me, they don't have the authority to do that. Only Jesus can forgive sins. Now, you confess your sin and repent to Jesus, I can say, Jesus forgave your sins. But I can't say, I forgive your sins. I don't have the power to do that. Even the Pharisees knew that. Jesus said, hey, rise up your bed, bed and, and walk. Your sins be forgiven you. And they said, oh, time out. Only God can forgive sins. Who do you think you are? He's just like, I'm exactly who you think I am. I'm God in the flesh. And so even the Pharisees knew that only God could forgive sins because Jesus was God in the flesh. He alone has the power to forgive you of your sins. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 26, for such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's, whereas this he did once when he offered up himself. Hey, Jesus didn't have to make a sacrifice to cleanse himself and then cleanse other people. He made a sacrifice for you and I one time and one time only, and that's all it took. His death upon the cross was good enough for that. So here's the big question. How do we apply this? I'm the type of guy that I believe that every passage in the Bible should have a practical application. There's something we should learn from this and something we should apply in a way that we sh- the, the Bible should change our lives. So how does this, t- today's message apply? First of all, have you received the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ? If so, pass it on. If not, receive it today. I'll ask you in really simple terms. Has there been a time in your life where you have been saved or born again? If you died today, are you 100% sure that heaven's your home? If not, today is your opportunity to receive that. You don't have to become a Baptist. You don't have to join our church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to. People need the answer. If you really believe that the things that are broken in our world are broken because of sin, then Jesus is the answer. Well, yeah, hopefully they'll find him. No, 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 no. Not hopefully they'll find him. We got to help people find Jesus. And so that's the, the purpose of what we do. Have you found Jesus? If so, help other people find him. Secondly, are you living with Jesus as your king or does your sin still reign? You can't do both, put it that way. If Jesus is king, then then I do whatever he says. If Jesus is Lord, he's the master, he's the boss, he calls the shots. I, I just obey. But sometimes in our lives, we get this idea of, well, I know what God says, but please understand, anytime you say, I know what the Bible says, but whatever you're getting ready to finish that sentence with just shows foolishness and rebellion on your part. Oh, I know God says I shouldn't leave my wife, but you know, I know he wants me to be happy. That's for what you want to do. Simple as that. God never changes. God's expectation is for you and I never change. Well, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, I know God forgives sin. If you're presuming on the grace of God, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous position. I look at my life, and God has been ridiculously gracious with me. Uh, my wife and I were not, were not walking with Jesus when we began dating, even when we got married. And people say, well, it worked out for you, and, and Miss Angela, you know, you guys weren't walking with Jesus, and you got married anyways. It, it'll be fine for us. You're presuming that the grace that God showed me, he's going to automatically give it to you. That's not always the case. And so we can't presume on the grace of God. We have to make sure that Jesus is the boss all the time. God's grace is there for me when I fall, but I can't plan to fall. God's grace is there for me when, when I 
make mistakes, but I can't pre-plan my mistakes. That's all grace is for. So is Jesus still king? Because idolatry is, is one of those things that creeps in our heart really, really quickly. If I put God first in my life, I mean, you, you got to figure it out. And so we, get, we got, constantly have to examine our hearts to make sure that Jesus is still king and he still reigns because if Jesus doesn't reign, sin and death do. Finally, get this. God's grace to save you is greater than your power to destroy. Some of you might be at a point in time in your life where you feel like you're done, you're sunk, it's over, your life's a wreck, you can't fix it. Things will never get better. You're in a dark period. It's going to be dark for the rest of your life. Let me just say, I've been there before, but God's power to redeem is greater than your power to destroy. How many people, just, just to help those people that might be thinking like, hey, I think I'm done. My life's sunk. It'll never get any better from here. How many of you at any point in your life have ever thought to yourself, my life is over. I'm done. I'm sunk. This will never get any better. My life will be miserable forever. Raise your hand. Okay. So I'll say, you're in good company. Because all of us have seen times where it's like, I think I'm done. I think I'm toast. I think I can't recover from this. You've forgotten who your God is. You've forgotten who Jesus is. He's the redeemer of Israel and he's the redeemer of you. And so, again, this is the story of Adam's brokenness. Like, Adam destroyed the world in a way that it would never be the same again. But God sent Jesus to restore and redeem the world in a way that it had never been before and would never be after that. That's the power of God's grace. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, get that right with God today. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.